0: Well, good morning, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. Gonna be sharing a little bit this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good morning. Good morning to be here, good. Well I'm so excited, I'm excited to be up here today because I get to share some exciting things I think God's gonna lead us into as a church. You can see the slide there, our vision. Um, we've had an opportunity over the last couple of months just to get together as pastors, get together with some of our leading men here, and just see what God's been teaching us. I know uh, Rich shared a couple weeks ago that we've been going through, we went through a couple books at a pretty high pace, which was exciting. It was challenging, but it was good. It was good to be going through those. Um, And just thinking about what does this mean? Where's God leading us? Where's God leading us as a church? Where's God leading us personally in our own lives? And I've just been encouraged. I've been super encouraged, uh, just to a whole new level than I have been before. Excited, just waiting to see, man, what's God going to do here? I feel like God's going to do something really big. And I think all of us that have been in those meetings feel that same way. And so this morning, Jeremy and I get a chance to just share with you guys, share with you some of the things God's put on our hearts uh, about what we think He's going to lead us into and where He thinks He's taken us and just the things He wants us to learn. So uh, before I do that though, let's pray and we'll ask God to bless our morning. Well oh, God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you are here with us. God, we're thankful that you want to use us. God, you do. You want to use each and every one of us in your plan. God, your plan for our lives, your plan for this church, your plan for our neighborhood, for our city, for our state, for our world. God, you want to Use us. God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you want to use weak men and women, God, because we are—we're not the best speakers in the world. We're not the best evangelists in the world, but God, we want to be used by you. God, and I pray this morning that you would help us just to be encouraged. God, you would help us to be excited. God, you would help us to see a little glimpse of what you're going to lead us into this next year. God, and that you would—you would just help our hearts to understand it. You would help our hearts to be excited. God, I pray that you would just turn our eyes from where we've been and what we've been doing to where you want us to go. Help us to do that and help just clearly through Jeremy and I this morning communicate that and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I was going to go first and then have Jeremy clean up after me, but we're going to go the other way. <laughs> so Jeremy's going to go first, so give a big hand for Jeremy and he's going to share with us.
1: Check one, two. <clears throat> Hello. My name is Jeremy and i uh, I want to say thanks to Jeff for introducing me. Um, I also want to thank all my friends uh, who are out there encouraging me today and saying, are you nervous? And I'm like, no, you should be nervous. Oh, oh okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, I, as well, am very excited to share with you uh, just this little bit of what I've learned over the last couple months. In going through this journey with the, the pastors as well as other leaders, um, just through these two books. One is called uh, Jesus-Centered Discipleship, and the other is called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be covering is from those two books. Um, and I am very excited to be up here, like I said already, but uh, I hope that I don't get too excited and talk too quickly. Um, if I do... I'm sorry, they will not be recording today's message, as they don't want to be held liable for what I have to say. So, no, I'm just kidding. That's not true, and it's also not a good way to start off a message with non-truths. Anyway, um, but I do want you to know that if I do a good job and everything is scriptural, that uh, Jeff is going to come up here afterwards and say, "I'm Jeff Freeman, and I support this message." <laughs> Too soon? Okay. Um, anyway, I'm joking about that too. He's not going to say that. Let's move on. Now that you know I'm a joker, we can move on and get to this serious stuff. All right. Uh, this really is just going to be a bunch of thoughts and excerpts from, from my jumbled brain. Um, so I apologize if it appears that I'm just reading off this paper. It's because I am. Um, I figured it was really the most efficient way for me to put all my thoughts into a cohesive, laid out, clear message that I wanted to share. But nonetheless, I make no promises that it turned out that way. I really do feel as though I am leaving many, many things out that I originally wanted to talk about. But I feel for the sake of time and for the sake of all humanity, I better keep it short. So I wanted to start off this t- with, start off this time with a little song to set set the stage. And if you know the song, please don't hesitate to sing along. It starts off This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. shine. Very good, everybody. you So I'm not going to tell you why I wanted to start off with that song, but we'll get to it later. Honestly... Just since I wasn't leading worship today, I just wanted to hear my own voice. <laughs> now, first I want to start off with a story of two men. Um, the story took place probably about six months ago. It was early spring and early morning, and these two men were sitting outside the restaurant drinking coffee and eating breakfast burritos, attempting to have a conversation through chattering teeth because it was very cold outside. And of course, we were outside eating breakfast. Um, These two men were discussing their struggle with sin, the struggles of life, the struggles of the Christian life. And they acknowledged their desire to grow, but but were lamenting their propensity to fail. It played out much like Paul in Romans 7. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do. The evil I do want... Oh, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. These men had good hearts, but their efforts were in vain. And finally, they resolved their conversation, deciding in that some way they must just try harder. And um, this story, shockingly, is a tale of my life. I find that in the last couple of years, as well as most of my life, can be summed up in two of the ideas that are shared in the early chapters of Gospel-centered discipleship. I find that I was struggling to try and find balance between two sins. These sin- sins being restlessness and idols. And it became sort of like a teeter-totter, and I was trying to stand in the middle. On one end, I felt weighed down by the restlessness which only increases the idols that I try and create for myself in order to appease that restlessness, if only for a short time. I'm restless because I realize that I want more out of life. I truly desire to be a man of God, to live a life worth living, but I keep failing, I keep screwing up, and I keep sinning. I've ruined the vision that I had for myself and the person I wanted to be. I became very either vertical or horizontal in my thinking. This refers back to the book that I was just talking about, The Gospel Center Discipleship, and its description of the different ways that people think and act spiritually. Vertical people have a tendency to get down on themselves for not reading the Bible enough or for having a weak prayer life. Six months ago, this was me to the fullest. Um, Horizontal people... Thrive on doing missional things, feeding the poor, sharing the gospel, making a great culture. When a missional disciple is doing these things, they feel up. But if they fail to do these things consistently, or they have no results, they feel down. I have also felt like this before when I feel like I'm not really doing much of anything. I'm not completing a mission, or I have no way to measure my spiritual success. Therefore, I have no purpose in life. Oftentimes, this just makes me feel an urge to do something drastic, Um, like move somewhere else or quit my job or any other sort of drastic change that could possibly get me back on my missional track. Either way, either way I look at it, vertically or horizontally, I was feeling down on myself in some form or fashion. And in general, restlessness leads to never really having a truth feeling of happiness or joy. Which leads me to the other side of the teeter-totter, my idols, or as I refer to it, as my attempts to fill a gaping hole with shot glasses of water one at a time when the entirety of the seven oceans couldn't even draw near to filling it. At times, this would come in the form of objects or things that I... uh, Things that I took my time up with or money. But there are also some things where I would make idols of things that are normally good. A desire to be liked or approved by everyone. Or even church. Or doing the things of the church. And I realize now that even my attempts at growth became idol-like. In Jesus plus nothing equals everything which is the other book that we read. It describes idols as anything or anyone that you conclude in your heart that you must have in order for your life to be meaningful, valuable, secure, exciting, or free. Tim Keller writes in Counterfeit God, A Counterfeit God or Idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in my heart that no, that one can spend most of their passion and energy, their emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. But the end goal of an idol is to make you feel something, if only for a moment. What I didn't realize is that there's only one thing that will ever really truly fill this void in my life. The good news as Jesus plus nothing equals everything puts it, I came to a shattering realization. Perfectly put, and so everything I have learned up to this point, it reads, I used to think that growing as a Christian meant that I was somehow to go out and obtain the qualities and attitudes I was lacking. To really mature, I needed to find a way to get more joy, more patience, and more faithfulness, and so on. And then I came to the shattering realization that this isn't what the Bible teaches. And it isn't the gospel. What the Bible teaches is that we mature as we come to a greater realization of what we already have in Christ. The gospel, in fact, transforms us precisely because it's not itself a message about our internal transformation but about Christ's external substitution. We desperately need an advocate, a mediator, and a friend, but what we need most is a substitute, someone who has done for us or secured for us what we can never do and secure for ourselves. The hard work of Christian growth, therefore, is to think less of ourselves and our performance and more of Jesus and His performance for us. Ironically, When we focus mostly on our need to get better, we actually get worse. We become neurotic and self-absorbed. We have a preoccupation with our effort. Instead of with God's effort for us, it makes us increasingly self-centered and morbidly introspective. It goes on. Christian growth, in other words, doesn't happen by first behaving better, but but by believing better. Believing in bigger, deeper, brighter ways for what Christ has already secured for sinners. I began my Christian life believing that Jesus was enough to save me from my sins and for myself and get me into heaven. But then I had turned to myself in my attempt to grow and live out the Christian life gospel Center discipleship reads, Jesus alone should take the center place of our lives, not our Bible reading, evangelism, character, or effort to be a different or spiritual. And going back to the vertical versus horizontal thinking, vertical thinking says, be this kind of person and I feel good about myself. The gospel says, give up on yourself and become the person you already are in Christ. Horizontal thinking says, do missional deeds and I can feel up. The gospel says, because Jesus has already completed the mission, I can give up on my deeds and give in to Christ. The gospel frees me to rest in Christ and and to live for the Lord, neither vertically nor horizontally, but diagonally, centered on Christ. Even in confession, I'm not only turning from my sin but I am turning to Jesus. As the Gospel Center Discipleship puts it, it is a verbal way of spiritually recovering your authenticity in Christ. Confession rejects an inauthentic image in order to realign with my true image. Sin stands in the way of authenticity. It is a silent spiritual rejection of my identity in Christ. I turn to the reality of grace in Christ, which in turn compels me to real obedience. Grace brings me to my senses, delivers me from the insanity of sin. This in turn cures my balancing act on the teeter-totter. I realize that my life is to be filled with Christ and Christ alone. As for St. Augustine writes in one of the open page, opening pages of Confession, where he tells the Lord, Lord, you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Pascal goes on to write that the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, God himself. C.S. Lewis describes, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, which are all idols, when infinite joy is offered to us. My restlessness and desire for idols are satisfied in Christ. In him and him only do I have infinite joy. So let's go back to the song we sang earlier, but you guys sang so well. Let's go through the words. I'm not trying to pick apart this song. It just came to my head, and I'm kind of a uh, visual learner, so this helped me out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let's imagine we're all holding our candles, like this song suggests. And we're doing everything in our power to keep it shining, to keep it bright and really it's all about me this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine I'm not going to let Satan blow it out I'm not going to put it under a bushel no, I'm going to let it shine part of me wonders if this song should have been written more like this huge, colossal, all-encompassing, radiant light of Jesus He's going to let it shine and I'm just going to cling to Him You see, gospel-centered discipleship is not about how I perform, but who I am, an imperfect person clinging to a perfect Christ, being perfected by His Spirit. Closeness to Christ means that I'm going to have to lose sight of who I am and what I want to be. Just as if you were to put a candle near the sun, you no longer see the candle. The candle and its light just becomes a part of the sun and reflects what the sun is. Everything the candle could ever possibly want to be and all the qualities that it could ever possibly want to have are in the sun. And instead of trying to turn the candle into the sun, which is physically impossible, instead let's connect the candle to the actual sun itself. And then the candle would take on all of its splendor and brightness. The candle will never be the sun. But whenever anyone looks for the candle, they will only see the sun. This allows me the greatest thing of all, the ability to stop trying so hard. And you ask, well, Jeremy, if you don't try, then you won't ever read your Bible and you won't ever pray and you won't ever do any good. So will just be there. And I say, Nonsense. <laughs> I don't really use that word, but... Uh, clinging, to my, clinging myself to Christ gains me the spirit of Christ. Closeness to Christ produces an affection for Christ which results in obedience to Christ and develops a gospel-generated delight in God. This this delight compels me to follow Jesus. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I possess the strength to deny sinful pleasures because my delight is in a superior pleasure. This reminds me of when my wife and I dated in high school. We would constantly write each other letters and call each other on the phone. And in fact, yesterday my wife was cleaning out one of our closets and she dug up my old box, of about that big, of everything that I have from high school, of all our letters, all of our crafts that she made me. If you know Jess, you can believe that. And it had even candy that I never ate because I didn't want to eat it because she gave it to me. (laughs) Pathetic, I know, but um, other times when we were on the phone, We would talk and talk and talk until one of us fell asleep. And it was usually her. Um, I delight in her and she delights in me. And we develop a loving relationship where neither one of us is forced to like each other. We just do, out of our admiration for each other. Just like God, uh, reading God's letters to me and my conversations all night to him, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37.4 But you have to be able to experience this relation and admiration and satisfaction yourself. I can't just tell you about it. Jonathan Edwards writes, I can show you a jar of honey. You can marvel at its golden hue. The way it reflects light and its disgusty. And I tell you that it is sweet. And you can believe that it is sweet. But unless you have tasted it, you don't know that it is sweet. Believing the honey is sweet doesn't mean you really know it's sweet. I could be lying to you again. I only know the honey is sweet when you have tasted it. When I truly taste Jesus, I can't help but follow him. I move from mere belief into true faith. From notionally believing that he is good to actually knowing he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm thirty-four, eight. It is a genuine affection, a a sincere adoration of God that changes my behavior. I have to ask myself these questions constantly now. I am finding it hard. Am I finding it hard to rejoice? Does life get me down? Do I struggle with meaning and purpose? Do church services seem to lag? Right now, maybe. Does worship seem to (laughs) sink? I desperately need to remember always who do I rejoice in? Who am I living for and not only for but with? And am I actually doing it with Christ? And whom do I find meaning and purpose? For whom do I go to church? And lastly, who is it do I worship? Remember Christ in everything I do and I want to do everything with Him. And last, as we look forward to the vision and direction of our church, I really don't want to get too wrapped up in purely the vision that is to be followed but the actual person we are to follow. We see, as we seek Him together, I need constant reminders to give tons of grace to others as I realize we're all just trying to get a little closer, cling a little more as imperfect beings to a perfect Christ. And lastly, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice is written twice, so it must be important. And so with that, thank you for listening to some of the thoughts I've had over the last week or the last couple of months. And uh, we're going to have Jeff come up now. Thank you. Back on? I'm
0: back on. All right. Well, my name is Jeff Freeman and I do approve that message. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to sing a song for you. Because you would probably all run out of here screaming. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate it. Jeremy. I appreciate his heart. I, I love you a lot, bro. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. Um, God's been doing a lot in my heart, too, over the last couple months. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun, although it's been really hard (laughs) preparing for this teaching, because I I feel like there's so many things, maybe like Jeremy, there's so many things going on in my heart, I didn't know exactly what I was going to share, what God wanted me to share, and so I bounced thoughts off a lot of you this last week, or last couple weeks, so thank you, thank you for listening, thank you for trying to help me figure out what my heart was saying, but um, this morning I want to share with you just a few things that I'm excited about, I'm excited to see God do in our church over this next year, over the years to come, here in the future, the things that God's been awakening my heart, and I hope somehow this morning and communicate a little bit of that to you so you too can be excited, so your heart can have that excitement in it, so you can be looking to the future, looking to the next year going, oh, alright, God's going to do something amazing here. And he's going to do it right here in this church in our neighborhood. He's going to do it in my life in my life, and I want you to have that excitement. I want to be honest, as honest and open as I possibly can be with you. Again, trying to figure out what that is and explain it. Sometimes it's challenging, but last year's been a huge change for all of us. I think it's been challenging, a little bit challenging. We, we worked really hard. We had a great goal to get into this building and see people come, and we worked really hard. And I, I think there was a very clear goal there, and we accomplished it. I think after that, we've kind of been like, oh, now what? <laughs> What's next? We joined forces with those of you from Valley View, and we're like, all right, Valley View. Now what? <laughs> now what are we going to do? Where's God calling us? What's he want us to do? And so I think it's been a little bit challenging, a little bit challenging for us to feel that out, for us to personally go, where do I fit in? How do I fit into this? What's my job here? What am I going to be doing here in the future? And so, Again, like I said, we we as pastors starting last week, Rich Sheridan, as, as leaders, we want to just over these next few weeks hopefully give you a little glimpse of what we think God's leading us into. Get some of the excitement that we as that group of, of seven of us feel or are excited to see. So this morning I just have three points. I want to share with you three things that I feel like God's made really clear to my heart and communicated to you. So the first one is, I titled the thing, Fresh Eyes and Fresh Faith." Something has to it's come over and over again. I think over the last month words that have been thrown out, things we've talked about is man we need to we need to have a heart for this neighborhood. We need to have fresh eyes, we need to have fresh faith. We've gotten dull in our senses, we're not seeing clearly. We need to look at things like we used to look at things. When you first got saved, you were so excited, so excited to reach people and share people and tell people what you know. Or maybe it was that you started a new job and you saw, man, I have this cool new harvest field here that I can really share. But I think after time, and it's just natural, it's a the thing, we get dull. We go, okay. Get up this morning, eat my breakfast, go to work, eat lunch, come home, and do it all over again. We just kind of get stuck in the rut. We get stuck in doing things that we want to do. And I, I think it hit home a couple months ago for me uh, as we as pastors came here and we spent the night here. And we took a little time. We walked around the neighborhood. We saw this neighborhood. And it was it was like, whoa, <laughs> wow, this neighborhood's here. I forgot this is here. I forgot God has blessed us and put us in such an amazing place. If you've ever been around this building at night, it's a hopping place. There are a ton of restaurants. There's a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of people who don't know God walking around these streets. And, and so it was great to see that and then a couple of weeks after that we went as all of us leaders and pastors together and we took a prayer walk and we walked for an hour and a half just around the neighborhood and up and down streets and crossed over into Commons Park and, and we just really it was just a blessing just to see what God has really put around here and I, I think I felt like I was seeing things in a new light I was seeing them through a new set of eyes eyes that, uh, that Jesus would have looking at it going man, look at this harvest field it's right there are a lot of people here We need Jesus. We need to share it. We need to be bold about it. And I'd I'd become complacent. I was kind of, again, just in the, the throes of life, working through things and doing my thing, doing my thing with my kids, my neighborhood, whatever. And God put it right under our noses, this neighborhood thing. And that's all right if you don't live here, right in this neighborhood. You don't have to. God's given us each our Jerusalems in this church. We each have places He's called us to reach out to. Whether that's our neighborhood, for a north of here or a little ways, or wherever we are, or our jobs, where He's given us amazing people who don't know the Lord. He's given us those jobs for a reason. So we have those things, and you know, it's alright if you don't live in this neighborhood. That's, that's not our vision here. We're not exactly, okay, we're reaching this neighborhood and that's it. That's not what we're about here at the firehouse. We're about reaching people for Christ. But we have an amazing neighborhood here that we can use, that he's blessed us with. It's easy, again, just to get stuck in that. and We need to, we need to step out of that. We need to open our eyes shut. I really like this quote. It's in the first book, The gospel Center Discipleship, that we read together. It says, believing the gospel is not, pas- not a passive, one-time decision. It is an active, continual fight for faith in what God says is noble, true, and good. We need to have a fresh faith. We need to realize that believing the gospel isn't passive. We need to live it out. We need to fight for it. And not be complacent. Not be just happy with where we're at. Or forget how powerful it is. How powerful the gospel is. It's not something that just gets you saved. It's not just doesn't just bring about salvation. It's for the rest of our lives. It's what helps us. It's what guides us. It shows us what Jesus has done for us. And like Jeremy said, it gives us that, that oh, okay, he's done it all. He's done everything. I just need to be more in tune with him. I need to just serve him and worship him. I really appreciate the analogy Rich has shared a couple times now. He did steal it, and it is a very good one. He shared it twice now in the matter of a couple weeks, so it's, it's, a, it's a good one. But the analogy of getting an A, that we've already got an A. We as Christians already have an A. We've stepped into that class and we have an A, and what a powerful picture is to give us an idea of our standing before God. We have an A in his sight. We don't have to work, work, work really hard like we do when we're in a college class and man, we're like counting the points. Okay, if I just get seven more points, then I get an A. No, we've got an A. We don't have to strive. We don't have to try that hard. Thank goodness, because those times are stressful when you have to do that, when you're counting the points. It's stressful. Jesus has done everything. We don't have to do anything. And once we realize the truth of that, it gives us a fire. It gives us a passion to share that with others. If it's all about the work and we're still focused on, man, i got to do this, 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 and this, well, that's not so exciting to share with someone. Hey, man, if you just come and do this, 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 then life's amazing. And they look at you and go, ah, uh, you're crazy. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> doesn't sound exciting. But if you don't have that desire, if you don't have that desire, if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I just really don't have that desire, well, you know what you're probably doing? You're probably focusing on those 10 things that you need to do. I need to do this, this, this before I can share, before I can be excited about it. And that's just not true. We already have an A. And we need to remember that. We need to believe that. And I know it's true. And I think it's been really good to hear it. And it's just a weight that's lifted off my shoulders. It's like, wow, I don't have to worry about going up there. Thanks, though. I don't have to worry about going up there on a Sunday morning and what am I going to share and how am I going to share I'm just going to trust God with it God's God's in control I can be okay with that and I can rest on that I don't have to be stressed out about it and trying to figure out what I'm going to share Uh, believing in my core it took the weight off me and it, it just helped me be excited it helped me realize oh there is so much to be excited about another quote that I really liked here out of the book Spoke on believing the gospel, says, don't be deceived. The Spirit is prompting you all the time to believe the gospel, to serve others, to choose what is good and true, and to walk in gospel holiness. He, meaning Satan, doesn't want you to enter into a conversation with the Spirit. Satan wants to force your communion with God. He wants us to converse with our reason, dismissing the subtle presence of the Spirit and His power to motivate holiness. God gives us His Spirit, and I don't think we, we think about that enough. We don't understand that enough. We don't focus on that enough. He's given us His Spirit to believe that we already have an A. He's given us that. But Satan, on the other hand, doesn't want us to believe this. He wants to trick us. He wants us to believe that we have to do something. We have to work really hard. My default, being a type A personality, those of you who know me, I'm I'm type A, if you didn't know that, (laughs) is to rely on my own logic, to rely on my own schedule and my own abilities when it comes to a situation. I think most, a lot of us can tend to do that. Even if you're not a type A, you can tend to fall back to yourself. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. How often we tell ourselves not to step out of our comfort, comfort zone. We go, oh, I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone because I'm smart. I know they're going to be mean to me. I know they're not going to receive this. I know they're not going to listen to me. We tell ourselves something bad is going to happen if we speak up, if we share our faith, if we're honest about what we believe. And I think this is especially true when it comes to talking to someone about Jesus. When we go to share our faith, we can convince ourselves. We can convince ourselves that the person is going to think we're weird. <laughs> that we're a freak. That we're crazy. <laughs> We convince ourselves so much for that that we don't share with them. Imagine what we could do as individuals in a church if we listened to the Spirit even 50% of the time. What would, be, what would happen if we listened to it 100% of the time? And we just believed Him. We believe what is true. We need to be believers where the Spirit indwells and empowers us to be gospel-centered. And, and that fight for communion with God in everyday life, that we fight for it. I'm excited for the future as our church and God teaches us to rely on His gospel more and to fight for it and to have those fresh eyes and fresh faith. The next point coming off that there is, is we need to fight the good fight. We need to fight the good fight. Here's another quote. It says, There are many things worth contending for, especially as Christians. Our churches should be filled with fighting. You know like, I call it? That doesn't sound good. <laughs> it depends on what you're fighting for. We should be fighting for justice, for peace, for holiness, for perseverance, for faith, for one another, and for the gospel. The problem is that many of us don't fight, or we fight for the wrong things. To be frank, some Christians fight like cowards, backing out of the fight of faith. Others fight like bullies, beating up themselves or others. Everyone tends toward one direction or the other. Whether we lean into or away from fighting, we do so for particular reasons. Our response is dictated by our motives, which can easily be twisted. I don't want to be a coward. I don't want to be a coward, and I don't think any of us in this church want to be cowards. I don't think we want to be known that way. We need to be a church full of fighting men and women. Men and women who fight for those things that were listed there, for justice, for peace, for holiness, for perseverance, for faith, for one another, and for the gospel. I feel like this is what we've always been, but I think lately we've lost our edge. I think we've gotten a little soft. I've noticed in my own life, again, that I've forgotten what I was fighting for. When you forget what you're fighting for, you become soft. I lost the mentality that I already have an A and was wondering what I needed to do better. Like Jeremy said, what do I need to do better? What do I need to be better at? Do I need to read more? Do I need to pray more? What do we need to do better as a church so we can reach the world for Christ? What is it that we're not doing? What can we do? What we need to do better is to live out the gospel every day and do it in our lives. The gospel is just something that gets us saved again, like I said earlier, but it's something that we need to remember for the rest of our lives if we're going to be effective for God's kingdom. We need to remember what Christ has done for us. Greg Durkin and I had lunch uh, a little earlier this week and he shared a great analogy with me and I think it speaks directly to this. Picture this. Picture the first time you ever drove a car. You're young, just got your permit, you're hopping in the car with your parents, you're going to drive. You were probably young, probably a little intimidated. I know it's, it is a little intimidating even though some of you go, oh, I wasn't intimidated. You were probably a little intimidated. It's a big thing. Going 25 probably felt like you were going 100. <laughs> afraid of every single little bump well, what if I have to make a right turn am I going to do it right I don't know you know you're a little scared what probably most likely happened to you when you got out on the highway is you weren't driving just straight down the road you were probably right how do I keep this between the lines people used to say keep it between the mayo and the mustard you know you have the yellow one and the white one Keep, keep between the mayo and the mustard because you're bouncing around a lot I think that's like us We bounce around a lot, like Jeremy was saying, on the teeter totter. We have we either go, okay, I need to be this way and I need to be perfect at it, or you slide to the other side of grace and you go, okay, I don't need to do anything, and you you kind of get and you so you bounce around a lot. Well, why do you do that when you're driving when you're young? It's because you're looking right in front of the car, right? You're like looking at the hood and you're like, okay, okay, I can keep it between here, (laughs) right? But what helps you get better at that? It's when you look down the road you look a little further ahead, you go, okay, there's where I'm going. And it's a lot easier to stay between the lines. Unless you're talking on the phone or doing something like that, then who knows where you're going. You might even be in the other lane. (laughs) Hopefully not, but that's where you could be. I really like that analogy because I think it has to do a lot with our walk. We, We tend to bounce back and forth, but when we look ahead and we go, okay, Jesus has done this for me, it gets so much easier. It's so much more enjoyable. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun and it's a lot easier, honestly. We're not stressed out every day trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing. The last point here is we need to be shooting for the living bullseye. And you go, okay, what does that mean? Well, hopefully you'll pick that up here. I read this in the Faith Walkers Journal. Those of you who have that, we have some out on the table. But just a, a daily devotional, um, different thoughts from the Word, different things to help you kind of focus your day. And I read this one. It was on this last Thursday by Burke Wilson. He shared it last year at the Faith Walkers East Conference. They said this, have you ever tried sewing your own clothes? My wife used to sew a lot. She'd take cloth, put a pattern down, pin it to the cloth, and cut everything away according to the pattern. Then she sewed the fabric together. The end product is a dress made according to the pattern. It's a dress that can be worn. Depends on if you're me or not. Maybe you can't wear it even after you do that. But This is what the Christian life is. It's laying Christ's example down upon your life and cutting everything away that doesn't look like Him. When you put it together, it will be amazing because it will be just like Christ. Lie down and let him cut. Many people never experience the impact God wants them to have because they live life by preference or by life's pressure rather than from his pattern and priorities. When you live with Jesus' priorities, it will be different from most people's lives, but it will give focus. And when you live with focus, you'll experience power final thing I'm excited to see Jesus do that I feel like he's, he's working and he's going to bring about in this next year and the years to come is by following Jesus' example better and more. He's the living bullseye. He's that living bullseye. He's that thing we're aiming for. He's that goal that's out there and we're trying to shoot and hit the middle of it. That's our goal. And we need to look at it that way. If we did nothing else than to try to be like Jesus for the rest of our lives as individuals, it would be amazing. We would be a much better person. We would do things for His kingdom more effectively if that was our goal, if that was our only goal. and If we did it as a church, who knows what we could accomplish if we were all on that path and going, all right, this is Jesus, this is what He says, and this is what we're aiming for, and this is where we're going in this church. We don't care what everybody else says. We don't care what the world says. This is what Jesus says, and this is what we're aiming for. I wonder what we could accomplish if we do that as a church. And I'm excited. As we go into this next year, as we bring some of this in, we go, okay, this is what Jesus calls us to do, and this is what we're going to do as a church. But what does that mean practically? What does that look like? Well, it means that just like Burke thought he shared, we need to live by Jesus' pattern and Jesus' priorities. And not by our preference or by the preference or the the life's pressures that are around us, the things around us, our culture. In our country, our state, our city, and even our church, we're making decisions more and more based on preference, on our own preferences or pressures of our culture, and it's evidenced by our last election. Tom Short shared that and shared in his short notes. If you get his short notes, if you don't know Tom Short, he's one of our campus evangelists in our movement. He just goes around and teaches at campuses all over. He shared this in his short notes. He said that the outcome of our elections are like a report card of how our nation is doing as a whole. And we aren't getting very good grades. We aren't standing up and being strong for Christ's priorities. We elected candidates for the highest office in our country that would have extremely opposite priorities than Jesus would have. That's the reality of it. Jesus in the Word is very vocal about how precious life is and how he strongly warns multiple times about the sanctity of marriage and how sexual immorality and homosexuality are wrong and they destroy the people committing those sins. I would go as far to say that those would probably be Jesus' highest priorities if you look at the Word. And yet we're swayed by the world. We don't value those things as highly as we should. We value things like the economy, like money, like energy policies, like other things much higher than Jesus' priorities. Men and women, if we're going to be effective for Jesus as individuals, if we're going to be effective for Jesus as a church, then we're going to have to stand strong. And Jesus' priorities are going to have to be our priorities. We're going to have to battle it out with him. We're going to have to talk it out with him. We're going to have to work together as a church to figure out what that means and what that looks like. The world may call us intolerant because we believe Jesus' word, but that's just not true. We're the exact opposite of that. The main reason we share these things with others is because we love them. We love them. We don't want to see their lives destroyed. We don't want to see them fall and, and uh, mess and have their lives come crashing down around them. We don't. We love them. If we don't share those things with the lost, then ultimately what we're saying is we don't love them. We don't care about them. You can do whatever you want to do. We don't, I don't care about you. And that's, that's not what Christ has called us to do. And that shouldn't be our heart. And I hope that's not the heart of our church. I'm excited to see how God is going to grow each one of us as we lay out the vision for where he's going to take us. I think he has some really exciting things in store for us each for our own lives but also for the lives of the people we touch on a daily basis whether that's our coworkers, whether that's our neighbors whether that's each other I hope that you sense our excitement I hope you sense that there's something exciting going on here God's going to do something big in this group of people in this city he's going to do something big with us and I think he's going to blow us away I think we're going to just stand in awe a year from now we're just going to go wow I can't believe God did that I can't believe he used us to do that one little thing on a side note I just want to share one little thing if whoever's ever up here shares anything that you disagree with that makes you feel judged please come talk to him please come talk to me if I offended you if I said something that just caused something to be uh, you go oh I don't like that guy come talk to me please please talk to any one of us we're just trying to clearly communicate what God's put on our hearts we're human we're not perfect we make mistakes we say things we shouldn't Come talk to us. Clear it up. We'd love to clear up any miscommunication. We'd love to just share our thoughts with you. and yeah, Maybe maybe whatever it is. But just come talk to us if that ever happens with anyone up here. That's it. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for just giving us the A. What a, what a restful thing. God, that we can just rely on you. We don't have to worry about if I, have I read enough times this week? Have I prayed hard enough? Have I prayed long enough? Have I... God, it's, it's, that's all inconsequential, God. Yes, we'll do that if we love you and, and it'll just come. It'll come. But God, if we focus on that, it drives us further from you. God, I pray, God, that we wouldn't uh, be focused on those things, but we'd be focused on you. We'd be focused on Jesus. God, we'd be focused on his priorities. Help us to have those priorities. Help us to believe them in our core. God, they're true. This word is true. God, there are stern warnings in your word, but there are amazing promises as well if we heed those warnings. God, help us to be a church that is known for heeding those warnings. God, and help us to be a church that's known for not going out and being one of those bullies like that quote said. God, we don't want to bully people into believing in you. God, we want to show them your love. That's what we're here for. That we're here to show your love, to be that light, to be the sun like Jeremy shared, that people look at us and they see you. It's not about us. It's not about our candle and how bright we can make it shine. God, it's about you. Help us to just show that more. God, help us in our daily lives as we go to work this week, as we're thinking about things. God, help us just to be excited, (laughs) be blessed by what we have in you and just be excited to share that with others because it is such a freeing thing. God, we don't have to worry about what happens to us tomorrow. We know where we're going to go if we die. God, and that's an amazing, amazing, amazing blessing and amazing truth that, that can be shared in such simple ways that we don't have to know everything. God, we just have to be able to explain how much we love you and why. And it's such a simple thing. God, help us to do that more and more in a church. God, as we march through these um, vision things this fall and as we go into more practicals of what that looks like this next spring. God, I pray that you help each one of us to see you more clearly. God, that we would live more clearly for you. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you guys for coming this morning. We have a couple more people sharing next Sunday. So we'd love to see you then. Thanks, God.